Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash adventures in autism. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Before we get into today's episode, I just want to take a minute to talk to you about making authentic friendships. You might remember the founder, Juliana Featherman, from episode 34 of Adventures in Autism. She is an autism sibling who created this amazing interactive web app that enables children ages 13 and up and adults with special needs to make friends based on age, interest, diagnosis, and geographic location. Parents and caregivers can also sign up to connect with other parents and caregivers. For more info or to sign up, head to makingauthenticfriendships.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Adventures in Autism, episode 86. I am Megan Carranza. Thank you so much for coming to listen. If it is your first episode, welcome. So happy to have you. And if you have been listening, thank you so much for coming on back. And now more than ever, thank you so much for listening and for supporting the show. I appreciate you guys so much. I had mentioned this last week, but not as many people are listening to podcasts. So to everyone who is carving out this chunk of time to listen, I am so thankful for you. So thank you. Um, I do want to start by saying that today's episode I'm really excited about. My guest is Kate Cordell Yu, and she is an advocate and an autism mom. She is amazing. We had a really awesome conversation that I just want to mention was recorded a couple months back. So we talk a lot about IEPs and kind of preparing for our, you know, IEP season coming up. And I thought it was very timely to put out this episode now. I know for us, Logan's IEP is actually next week. Um, But at the same time, when we recorded this episode, we did not anticipate, obviously, everything that was going to happen. (laughs) Um, Logan's IEP is on Zoom, which I'm assuming most of you are having virtual IEP meetings and whatnot. So I still think there's a lot of really great information in this episode. Kate is amazing, just like a wealth of knowledge and shares some really great tips for IEPs. So even though, you know, this IEP season might look a little different or a lot different, (laughs) um, you know, we're still fighting the good fight and advocating for our kiddos. So I'm really excited for you guys to listen to this episode today because I know that you will find it just as helpful as I have. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy listening to my conversation with Kate. Hi, Kate. Welcome to Adventures in Autism. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. So you had reached out to me on social media and we talked about how you are an autism mom and you are also an advocate for other families. And I was really excited to talk to you because like you and I were saying before, we have not yet had an instance where we really needed an advocate. There has been times when looking back, we probably could have used one. (laughs) So we can kind of get into that later. But I know that's something that I get asked a lot of questions about. I have friends that have used advocates. So I'm really curious to hear about how that whole journey went for you. But to get started, if you would kind of take us back to the beginning of your autism journey and what that looked like for you and your family, I'd love to hear. Yeah. So I live in Nashville um, and my husband and I have been married for about eight years and we had um, our first born, James. Um, he is almost six, so he was born in 2014 and, you know, really everything was pretty normal, like full term pregnancy. Everything was good. Um, he was really developing um, on track as to what we thought he should be doing. Um, But somewhere, I would say around his first birthday, I started kind of realizing that he wasn't babbling like I had noticed other kids doing. Um, You know, I would bring him to like the the kids time at the library where the, the moms would sit in a circle and, you know, the librarian would read stories and all the other kids would just sit quietly in their mom's laps and James would be all over the place and couldn't pay attention. Um, And I I really started comparing him to other kids, which, you know, you shouldn't do, but I just couldn't help it. Um, That's always what they said. And the words just were not coming. Um, But everything else was really 
what I thought was there. So nothing kind of really sparked in my head as, as there, look, we have issues. Um, but the more, the older he got, um, like between his first and second birthday, the more lag I kind of noticed between him and the other kids that were his age. And one of the things that would really stand out for me was, um, my, I have three brothers and my sister-in-laws and I, we were all pregnant <laughs> at the same time. We, the two of us or three of us had, um, kids born within like two weeks of each other. Oh, wow. So I, like every time I would go home to Minnesota to visit them, I just was like blown away by how many were, and what good communicators their kids were compared to James. And then probably around 18 months is when I really started. Like I actually had a document on my phone where anytime he would say a word, I would, you know, like, oh, great. He can say mama. And like, I would put it in my phone, like, ha ha, he can do this. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Which like looking back, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. But it just, it just made me feel better. Mm -hmm. Um, At his two-year appointment, his pediatrician and I were talking and she just said, you know, I, I really think that let's, let's get him into speech. He's, he's just not like, even at two, I mean, he really maybe had like a dozen words, um, but you really had to pull it out of him. Like he wasn't just spontaneously offering those words to you. Mm -hmm. Um, but we knew that he could talk. He just wasn't doing it. So right after he turned two, um, we got him into speech and not through, um, not through the state, not just privately. Mm. And really, like, as soon as he started with therapy, he just kind of exploded with his language, which was really great. Um, It gave us a lot of hope. And like, even at that point, like there was nothing else in my head. Like, I I just didn't think that it was anything else other than he had a speech delay. Mm -hmm. Um, But then probably, he was probably two and a half. And at that time, um, we had had our second kid, Anna, and she was born just two years after James. So um, when he was about two and a half, I, I looked at his speech therapist in a session and I said, do you think he has autism? And I don't even know like where, <laughs> where that came from in my head because I knew nothing about autism. Um, I, I did not go to public school. It's not around, you know, kids with, with disabilities um, in the school setting. And I, at that time, I didn't even think that I knew anyone with autism. Um, so I don't know where that came from. And she just looked at me and she's like, you know, that is not, <laughs> that is not my area, but I, I don't think so because really he had, like, he, he liked to interact. He was, you know, he loved to be around us. He would, you know, like laugh and giggle with us. And other than the speech, like it just, It didn't really seem like there was anything else going on. But by the time he was two and a half, I knew that there was something else. I just couldn't figure out what it was. Mm -hmm. Um, So then I started mentioning it to my husband, just saying like, I, you know, I really think that there's something else. It's not just, it's not just speech because everything was so, everything was so difficult with him. Like I couldn't, I couldn't bring him into a grocery store without him dropping to the floor and completely melting down. Um, you know, at the time I thought, oh my gosh, he is just the worst tantrumer in the world. And like, I just could not, if he would, if he would, you know, get worked up about something, I couldn't bring him down. He, these tantrums would last for what seemed like hours. Um, it, it just, everything seemed very difficult. I couldn't, really get him to focus on anything and that the whole communication thing, which is still set, such a struggle, even though he, he was starting to use his words. Um, but he was really only using it for things that he wanted. He wasn't, you know, using it to um, try to communicate with us. Mm-hmm. So I started mentioning it to my husband and um, to our parents and just saying, you know, I, there's something else going on. And, and, pretty much everyone was like, no, 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 boys are just different. Um, Boys talk later than girls. I heard that a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
I, I was really the only person that thought this, I think this could be autism. Um, so then fast forward, we're still in speech at that time. Um, right before he turned three, we also started, um, occupational therapy just for like fine motor skills and also for feeding therapy because he was a terrible eater. Um, and at his three-year appointment, you know, I went in my, with my big list of words that he could say again, just, I guess, prove that there was nothing wrong, even though, you know, why would I have a list of words unless there was something actually wrong? Mm-hmm. Um, and his pediatrician then, you know, just said to me, you know, I, I think it's, it's time, Kate, that, that we get him evaluated um, to see if he has autism. <laughs> so that it was shocking to me for her to say that, but also it was kind of like, oh my gosh, finally someone else sees it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you said something that you, when you first brought it up to his, his and speech- then um, at we, I know a lot of people have to wait a really long time to get um, their kid, like even in line to get diagnosed, but for whatever reason, um, we did not have to wait a long time. That that appointment where the pediatrician told me um, that he should be diagnosed was February 17th. I, I'll never forget these days. Um, and he was diagnosed on April 5th um, by a BCBA from, from Vanderbilt. And then um, from there, we, we just started our journey. <laughs> wow, that is interesting because a lot of what you said actually reminds me of our journey with my son. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, especially like how you were saying the first year, like you really didn't notice any signs and it was like right around the first birthday, the speech was the first thing to sort of tip you off. Um, what was interesting to me was when you said that you had talked to his speech therapist about autism and that you didn't really know where that had come from. Mm-hmm. Did that, like, was that something that you had been thinking at that point or did that literally just like pop into your head then? Um, you know, I had been thinking about it because right, like right when he turned to, you know, he started speech and then he also started a mother's day out program, just like at a local church for a couple days a week. And I, you know, his teacher was so great. She was just really wonderful. Um, but she would tell me, you know, he's really not interacting with the kids. Like it was almost like he was a ghost in the room, you know, like he was so focused on whatever he was doing that it was like the other kids didn't exist. And then that's kind of what I started noticing too, like when we would go to the park or like if we would try to go to the library or even really like when we would go up and visit my family with all the cousins that were there, it was just like he was in his own world. And that struck me as odd. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I think like I had been thinking something is wrong socially, but then I think I really wasn't thinking autism until like that moment. I was like, do you think it's autism? (laughs) That's so interesting how it like, because I I know what you mean. I I remember like not necessarily the exact moment that I was like, oh, is this autism? Mm -hmm. But I remember just kind of like little signs and then Mm -hmm. actually having a really similar conversation with Logan's, it was his OT, not his speech therapist, Mm -hmm. um, but saying like, like, you know, do you think that this could be autism? And she actually was very like, Kind of, kind of like what you were saying um, that she was like, oh, this is like out of my jurisdiction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she didn't even necessarily say that. She was kind of like, she's like, oh, she's like, I work with like so many kids who are on the spectrum. And kind of like how you were saying that your son was like really engaged and like really happy and like to play. Mm-hmm. That was all the stuff that she had said about Logan. And especially with him, really didn't have meltdowns at that age like he was always super just happy and go with the flow he's gotten more like regimented as he's gotten older but I remember in one of our earlier sessions he had like a a very little kind of like 
what you would probably consider like a typical temper tantrum and it lasted like a minute or two and I remember the OT watching him and she's like oh is this like typical behavior for him and I was like no I'm like he actually doesn't really do this very often and I could tell that she was kind of thinking like yeah right lady (laughs) (laughs) like probably thinking like oh like you know this is he's having a meltdown and then it was like honestly several months later that we had another little kind of like mini meltdown tantrum situation I mean he was like two and a half at the time so he was really little and she actually said she was like you know back in the beginning when he did this she's like I was really prepared for you to say like oh this is like typical behavior of him and she's like and then I was thinking like oh maybe he could be on the spectrum Mm -hmm. but she's like I haven't seen it in all the months that I've worked with him you know he this is the second time he's ever done this yeah so that to her was like a really big sign that he wasn't on the spectrum and of course then to me that was like a really big sign yeah but just like how you were saying like you still had those same feelings that's that's how I felt too Mm -hmm. um so then okay after you guys got got the diagnosis then what what was next for for you and your family and for your son um so i actually went to that appointment alone my husband couldn't come with me and i wow <laughs> let, yeah it was it was pretty, it was a heavy day um yeah. and my my our entire family knew that we were going to that appointment and like our my close friends um so i got you know, James and I went back to the car and I texted, um, I I called my husband to tell him and he said, okay, I'm leaving work to come home. And then I texted our parents and just said, you know, he's, he was diagnosed. I don't talk, like, I don't want to talk to anyone. Yeah. Um, So please, please respect that. And then we, um, went through the drive-thru at Krispy Kreme because I just like, could not yeah. like I just I don't know like it it's so odd because it's like it's one of those moments where you feel like the world stops and that it's crashing in on you but then there's this three-year-old in the back seat that's just happy as can be eating a donut and like has no idea that anything you know changed <laughs> yeah um, and I just was like and nothing changed at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And like, mm-hmm. I just remember like hysterically crying on the way home, but doing so silently because I didn't mm-hmm. want him to hear me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we got home um, and really like, so my, my in-laws, they, they live here. They live just a few miles away from us. And they, I think he was diagnosed on like a Thursday and they were like, you know, we're just going to keep Anna for the weekend. And I was like, great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and we actually sent James with them to like for the weekend. And we just spent the entire weekend, like crying and drinking. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and just like, you know, I would go to bed sobbing and I would wake up and start sobbing. Mm -hmm. And then on Monday it was like, okay, um, what do we, what do I have to do? And, you know, I'm, I'm very, I'm very type A. I like to, you know, have a plan and just kind of know what the next steps are. So I just really got to work that next week. And I knew that I had to get him, um, evaluated through the district to see if he would qualify for special ed and for an IEP. Um, And we got him, oh gosh, what else? So he had already started OT, um, got him started with ABA therapy because we were also having a lot of issues with, um, well, the the tantrums were just, I could not get a a handle on them. Mm -hmm. And also he had started to become really aggressive um, with his younger sister and with one of our dogs. Mm -hmm. And so we we started with ABA. in the house, which was really helpful. And then started the whole process with, with the school, (laughs) the school district, which was a whole nother battle and the most frustrating process I had ever been through. Yeah. You kind of alluded to that (laughs) when, when you and I were first corresponding. So what, what happened there? So, um, you know, it was just frustrating from the start because it's like, 
you contact the person who you're supposed to contact and then they say, well, no, this, you need to contact this. Well, no, you need to contact. No, no, you need to contact it. So it was like going back and forth. I was like a ping pong ball between all these people who, you know, were certain that they were giving me the person to contact, but then that person was like, no, this is who you're supposed to contact. So finally, um, I got in touch with the right person and, you know, filled out all the paperwork to give the the district permission to evaluate him. Um, I'd let them know that he did have a medical diagnosis of autism and um, they did, we went in, they did the assessment and it was, there were maybe like four women in the room and I stayed in the room with them. Um, It was a couple hours long and they, you know, I had to fill out a bunch of stuff. They asked me a lot of things and they worked directly with him and did lots of observations. And I also had brought in um, like all of his outside therapy reports as well, Mm -hmm. just so they could have that information. And (laughs) they, they said things to me that um, no parent should hear. They told me that um, they did not believe that he had autism because he smiles and autistic kids aren't happy uh yeah they uh told i i had made a comment that yeah he has just started ot and he um he's been making a lot of progress like being able to draw shapes and they told me that well he can't be autistic because autistic kids don't make progress um and they they asked me why I didn't have a real psychologist diagnose him. And I was like, what? They were like, well, you didn't have a real person diagnose him. This diagnosis isn't valid. And I let, yeah, I left that meeting. um, So that like we had scheduled the next meeting, which was the, it was also towards the end of the school year. So they were like trying to get all of this stuff done before summer. So the next meeting was going to be the eligibility plus going over his IEP um, because they basically told me he, we don't think he's autistic, but he will qualify under language. Um, So I left that meeting just so pissed. Uh, (laughs) I was so mad. And I, I got in the car and I called the psychologist and I said, are you a real psychologist? And he was like, what? Like (laughs) they're telling me you're not real. And he's like, just, don't listen to them. Of course. Like I am perfectly capable of diagnosing your son. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next meeting, um, we went in and they said to me, we want you to, um, sign and agree to the IEP. And I said, well, no, I have to look at it first. And they said, well, that's not how we do it. You have to sign and agree. And I said, I'm oh not, my God. yeah, and I said, I'm not, I'm not doing that. And I basically just told them I will sit here all day like if that's what you want to do but we are not signing anything until until we go over this Mm -hmm. um so we got them to go over it and it was the same type of thing like they just flat out refused to they didn't even want to put that he had a medical diagnosis of autism even though he did um they made a lot you know a lot of those really inappropriate comments about how, well, he's happy and autistic kids aren't happy, blah, blah, blah. Um, And the part that really, really irritated me was that they, you know, so we have a a kid who has, who has autism, whether they wanted to believe it or not, and had serious like social issues and language problems. And they wanted to put him in a class for uh, two hours a week with other kids who had language issues. <laughs> and I was like, this is not, this is not appropriate for him. He needs to be with regular kids for as much time as possible. Um, and it was another appointment that my husband couldn't go to. So I said, you know, I really want to bring this home and look it over with my husband. And they told me, um, if you don't sign this agreeing to it, we will reassess him and we will make him not eligible and you'll lose any chance of services. Oh so my they, goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So there was just a lot of like bullying and, um, you know, and I also went into those meetings completely unprepared. And I think, I think because um, 
you know, we do, we have Vanderbilt here in Nashville, which is like amazing. Um, and we were, we were so supported with them and just really never had any, we, we, we just always knew that they had our best interest at heart. So I, I really went into these meetings with the school thinking that that would be the same. And it was just, we were just totally blindsided by everything. Um, Do you think it was because like, if he had that autism diagnosis, they were going to have to provide more services and they didn't want to do that? I don't know. <laughs> like yeah. I, I still, I still don't know um, what their deal was. Um, I've since discovered that the district psychologist um, who really made the most derogatory comments, she's been doing, she's older. So she's been doing this for, you know, decades. And I've talked to like at least a dozen parents who were like, oh my gosh, we had the exact same experience with her. Mm. Um, Yeah. So I don't really, I don't know what it was. Um, But I I did sign the IEP that day because I was like, oh my gosh, well, I can't have him not have anything. Right. Um, And I left that meeting just on fire. And I knew that I, I knew that I would figure it out and be able to get things right for my son Um, but I just could not like get it out of my head how many families they had done this to, first of all. Mm -hmm. And then second of all, how many families leave these meetings thinking, well, this is just how it is, which it should not be. Um, so I really knew that like once I got things in order for my son that I had to help other families. Um, so I really, I spent the next So then we went into summer because it was like the week before um, the school year ended. So um, we went into summer and I I really spent that entire summer and the entire next school year, um, like reading everything I could on special ed law um, and like IEPs and just everything that goes along with, with disabilities and, and education Mm -hmm. um, to, get things right for my son. I made the district reevaluate him. Um, it came back as autism. I basically told them if this doesn't come back as autism, we're going to court. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so they, it came back as autism shocking. It's like, of course it is. Um, and got him into a, a general ed class full time, um, with typical peers. So at that point I knew like, okay, now I can figure out how to help other families. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. wow. That's a, that's crazy. Um, it's interesting to hear because we, you know, everywhere you go is so different in terms of like what's offered and resources and services and all that. And yeah, for my son, um, when we got into our district, they, I mean, we basically had him evaluated and, they they did kind of like they had blended classrooms where mm-hmm. you know kids that were had special needs and IEPs or then also you know typical kids which actually that's what my daughter is in now it's an inclusive okay. class which is great because she my my daughter is she's uh typical and it's nice because like so my son uses a, a speech device and she has like two or three kids in oh. her yeah, in her in yeah her now that have a device um and it's just so interesting because I mean even just a few years ago it was like my when my son was in preschool there weren't any kids with devices so yeah. it's just it's interesting how things change so quickly yeah um but also just like how you were saying I mean it's it like it's so individual and it's like nothing is one size fits all <laughs> yeah so yeah it's it's always so interesting when I hear you know people that get into these situations where it's like they're just kind of like bulldozed into like this one thing and it's like okay well this is all you can do and if you're not going to do yeah. this then like nothing well and so when we- he when he was diagnosed um you know I still have a really good relationship with with the psychologist and he's actually like referred clients to me now even his sister he's referred to me and um one of I'll, I mean I'll just never forget it one of the things that he said to me that day um was do not let the school let James fall through the cracks and I was like what and like at the time I was like that's kind of a weird thing to say to me but okay mm-hmm. um and he just said, you know, because he, 
because he maybe doesn't need as as great of supports as other kids with autism, it's, you know, he can be ignored. Um, and that was so true. And like in that very first meeting, I was like, this is what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. It all made sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why it's a spectrum for a reason. It's like, yeah. it really is. It's so varied and so vast. So obviously that was what inspired you to, to become an advocate. What was that process like for you? Yeah. So, um, like I said, that whole next year, I mean, I was really just reading everything, um, everything, special ed law, everything, everything that I could get my hands on that, that I thought would help me and and not even just, um, you know, related to autism, just special ed. Mm -hmm. And, um, we are very lucky here in Nashville that we have um, the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center, and they offer courses on special ed advocacy. Mm. So that next year, I completed that course. Um, and really, even before, well, for sure, before I even finished the course, I had parents contacting me. Um, And I was really lucky to have been kind of, I just kind of fell into someone's lap and she, she is an advocate in middle Tennessee who like everyone knows. It's like, if you have an issue, everyone's like, oh my gosh, this is the person you need to call. Like districts know her, they fear her. (laughs) Like she really, (laughs) she, everyone knows who this person is. And she taught one of the classes early on um, in the program and I knew who she was. So I like a big old weirdo, like after class stayed behind and basically just like pounced on her and told her (laughs) my story and the situation I was in. And she, you know, looked at me and she said, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years and I've never once talked to someone who seemed as capable as you do, as you are for advocacy. And she's like, you know, I've never done this, but do you want to basically um, be like my intern? (laughs) And I was like, yes, please. So she, and it wasn't even like an internship, like she full on like hired me. Um, And that was just last school year. So I've, I've been doing this for, um, you know, a little over a year, actually working with different families and Um, she, she no longer does advocacy like as her work because she works, um, for Down Syndrome Association here in Middle Tennessee. So I've now taken over her clients. Um, I also am contracted through Down Syndrome Association of Middle Tennessee as their advocate. And, um, I mean, I'm just, I'm busier than I ever really (laughs) imagined I would be. I've, um, worked with you know, over 50 families. And I think I've been into eight districts in the state. Um, and I've, I, I just love it. I absolutely love it. Oh my gosh. I, I love, I'm always so amazed by the way this journey really changes you. And I just think as individuals, like, you know, like how you said, it's like, you cried the whole weekend. I was, I was the same way. I cried my eyes out, but it's like somehow like that, that grief like turns into strength. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I mean, not, not necessarily for everybody, but it's like, I feel like you can, if you can harness that into your strength and then it's like, like how you said, it's like, you want to, you want to help yourself obviously, but you want to help others too. Yeah. want to like show others like there, there's a way to do this. Um, I, I just think that's so incredible and I, I love your passion for it. Yeah. Tell me, I know this is like probably a really hard question to answer, but as an advocate, what do you think are like the most important things for parents to know when they are like looking at the IEP or planning for that? I mean, I know that's like a really hard thing. Yeah. To ask that <laughs> um, I would say that if parents are starting the, the process of, of trying to get services, they really need to know what their rights are. Um, that, I mean, that will just in and of itself solve so many fights with the school before they even start. Um, you know, every, every state has, um, like a parent, um, oh, I don't know what they're called here. It's called step. It's like a parent training Mm -hmm. corporation where, um, people are there like solely to teach 
parents how to deal with IEPs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that knowing what your rights are and really um, understanding how the process works. So understanding that there's going to be, you know, an assessment period where that the district, where the schools are assessing your kid, but also it's not just what the school does. Like your input is the most important and that has to be considered. Any any outside information that you bring and you should bring outside information, especially if your kids, you know, do outside therapy, which most of our kids do. Um, any people that you can bring to the table because it's really hard to go. It's so hard to go into these meetings where it's you. Sometimes your spouse can go. Mostly they can't. Um, and then like, you know, 10 people from the school and everyone's talking about your kid. It's just, it's really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, just knowing the parts of the IEP and how, how that works and really knowing what you can ask for, um, and having a reason why your child needs that. Um, because it, it's not, it's not fair for, parents to just assume that schools are going to come up with all of this information and come up with all these ideas like it's you're part of the process too you're part of the team and you're the most important person on the team um, and you need to bring ideas as well yeah I totally agree with that and I feel like it's it's interesting because I know that's something that I I think in some ways I'm lucky. I've just always had sort of like a domineering personality. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't mind going into meetings and like, I mean, I I will, I will, you know, listen, of course. Um, But I, I've always, I've always felt that as the parent that like, I am the person who's like in charge of all this. Yeah. But I think for some people that's hard. Like they don't necessarily have that it's just hard for them to kind of assume that role. And especially when you're, like you said, there's so many people there and it is emotional. You definitely like, sometimes you just don't even know how to respond to things. I know I have even, even being like a strong personality, I have sat in IEP meetings before and thinking like, I don't want to even say anything right now because then I'm going to start crying. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't want to cry because then I look less strong. (laughs) Yeah. So it's yeah. like you have to like compose yourself. Um, I, the last couple of years, his, his IEP meetings have gone really well. So that's good. But we definitely had a couple in the beginning that were, that were tough. But I, I think that that really is like the best advice is just, just knowing that like you are the person who is like steering this ship and like everything has to get past you basically. Yeah. And you really, I mean, you have to learn how to say no and say it pretty firmly. Um, mm-hmm. I, I see this, you know, because unfortunately most parents, don't contact me until there's an issue. Um, and I, I feel like a lot of issues could not become as big as they are if, if parents would just know that like, Hey, you, you have a right to say, I don't agree with this. I'm not signing this. You know, Mm -hmm. we need to, we need to talk about what's more appropriate for our kid. Um, and it's, it can be really, it can be really uncomfortable in these meetings to, to do that, but you just, you just have to. And then if you're not comfortable doing that, then I think it's important to bring, you know, backup and someone who is, because that's just the reality of the world that we live in in special ed. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I know last year, like right around IEP time, I had a couple of guests on that we talked about sort of, one was a special ed teacher, another one was um, a school and we talked about like their tips and what they had told me and that I, I used that in for Logan's IP and it really helped was one to kind of like go over goals and what I'm hoping for yeah like earlier in the process so maybe like a month before the meeting or a little bit more than that um his teacher and I were corresponding on the things that like I wanted to see you know change or what I thought was good and then also to get a draft a copy yeah of- beforehand so I think it was like a week or so before she sent home literally a full draft and I mean we 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 amended a few things like in the meeting but it was like nothing was a surprise to me then going into it um so that's always kind of the advice that I give parents too because and I didn't even know that I I mean I, I would talk about things with the teachers beforehand like up until that point but I had never gotten a, a draft copy of it and that was like super super helpful because especially like you said in the meeting 
there, there's so many people there. They're throwing so much information at you. You really don't get to read the IEP. You get to kind of like look over it and go over the, the big parts, but it really was so helpful to have that IEP in advance and just be able to really like pour through the whole thing. Yeah. So- and that was actually passed into law here in Tennessee um, where schools, if a draft is made, it has to be provided 48 hours in advance. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that makes a huge difference. I mean, I, I would say that if you are not given a draft or if you're not given a copy of the assessments that you either show up to the meeting and reschedule it until you can <laughs> sit yeah. and read it. Um, mm-hmm. Or you, you just really demand like, because you really need to have, um, you know, informed consent as to what you're agreeing to. And it's really hard, like you said, to try to listen to all these people talk, but you're trying to read this report for the first time and you just, you're, it's just impossible to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I, you know, just providing as much input as possible. I mean, I, for my, for my son, before any meeting, I always send over a list of like updated parental concerns. And I just say, this needs to be copy and pasted into his IEP. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, an agenda of everything that I want to talk about. Um, another thing that I like to do for my son and for, I suggest to other parents is to write up like a vision statement of what, what you want for your, your kid, because I think it's really easy for schools, you know, they do so many of these meetings and it's like, it's just hard to not let it become another IEP meeting that you're trying to get through. But if you can read a vision statement of like, these are the goals that I have for my son, this is where I see him in five years and 10 years. Um, You know, is he going to live on his own? Is he going to go to college? Is he going to get married? It kind of brings it back just at the start of the meeting, like, hey, this is a kid. Mm -hmm. And this is someone's kid. And we deserve to, you know, help that child out as much as possible. Like this is where we want to get to. So what do we need to do in the IEP to get him there? Mm-hmm. I, yeah, that I think that's really good advice. Because like you said, these, you know, administrators, they go through this, especially during IEP season, like, yeah, this is all they do, you know, and yeah. I think, I mean, if, if you if we're lucky, you know, they have that compassion. But I think, yeah, sometimes it does kind of become monotonous for them. And they maybe sometimes do forget that, like, and I, I've said it, to therapists I've said it to teachers I've said it to the administrators so many times I, I'll just look at them and I'm like this is my baby yeah that we're talking about yeah and it, it, you know there's times when it's like people even even just like the tone they use yeah like it just it, it the hairs in the back of my neck will stand up and I'm just like and I don't mind saying like you know th- this is my baby that we're talking about like I'm gonna need you to use a little more sensitivity when you're talking about these things, because honestly, like that's just the mama bear in me. I can't help it. I really can't. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm the same way. And I've, you know, I I think too, that, you know, especially with autism and the kids who, um, you know, maybe don't need as much support. And I see this too, a lot with uh, girls who have autism because they mask it so well Yeah. that I think a lot of the times in these meetings, um, you know, the, the school staff will say things that they don't mean to be offensive, but it just makes the parents want to throw a chair. Like I, I've had um, principals say to parents, well, you know, well, she looked at me in the eye today in the hallway and isn't that great? And it's just like, okay, this like, (laughs) like, yeah, I, I don't need, I don't need to try to convince one more person that yes, she really has autism or he really has autism. And just because they looked at you in the eye, like, I know that that's great, but I I don't know those comments like Mm -hmm. really bother me and they really bother a lot of parents that I've been in meetings with. Mm -hmm. Oh, I I totally understand. Yeah. And it's like you said, it's, it's those little things and it's like, they don't necessarily mean harm by it, but I, yeah, I think sometimes you really do have to speak up because otherwise it's it you're it's gonna fester in you and it's just yeah. gonna make you more upset and then it's like everything is a heightened emotion and like I said not that I think it's a bad thing to cry I think probably everybody listening understands what it's like to cry yeah. <laughs> in a meeting yeah. um, I think we've all been there but I, I know yeah for me it's like I'm tr- definitely trying to go in there not necessarily with like my my game face like my tough face but it's like I just want to be like clear-headed and 
yeah as soon as like the tears come I feel like for me that's when it's like everything kind of gets a little yeah a little misdrewed <laughs> yeah they, they definitely you know these meetings are are business meetings and they're very important legal documents and, yeah. and they they should they should be treated that way yeah um, absolutely yeah um one question I wanted to ask you too and I don't know if this is again probably a tough question to answer but I feel like as a parent you know I'm sure you understand this too. I, I am like constantly questioning, is this the right thing to do? Is this yeah. the right thing to do? And I feel like we all do that, especially like my son is nonverbal. And so it's like when you have a child who's nonverbal and they can't actually tell you, you know, this is their wishes or whatever. It, it's it, you're, you're really the person like handling all this. I mean, any parent is. Mm-hmm. So as an advocate, then are you just there to back up the parents and their decision? Or are you also there to kind of guide them in the right direction of a decision? So, you know, it varies from family to family. Um, A a lot of families need like full blown assistance. Like they just don't understand the process at all. And then what my, what I try to do, basically I want to work myself out of a job with these families. Like I, I want to teach them as much about the process and um, you know, teach them, legally what the school is required to do and you know things that they can ask for things that maybe they they probably could ask for but aren't going to happen um and then there's parents that really just want me to be there for support and kind of to you know pregame with and and go over what they're wanting and then I'll speak up if if there seems to be um you know, the meeting seems to be at a standstill and then we kind of meet again afterwards, but it, it just, it just varies from family to family. Um, I, I will never say to a family, this is what you should do because mm-hmm. I'm not a lawyer. Um, but what I can say is, you know, look, if you, if you don't agree with, you know, the evaluation that this school did, these are what your options are. And this is what it would look like. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I think it's a lot of parents really feel comforted that I'm also an IEP mom. Like I get it. Like I just, mm-hmm. I understand how frustrating this process can be. Um, and I know, I just know what it's like to be in these meetings. So I think that's, I don't know, comforting for a lot of these parents that I'm not just some like, I don't know, random person that is doing this. Um, So, yeah, I mean, the needs of the families vary. I I tried, I try really hard to just teach the process. Um, You know, and a a thing that I hear a lot from a lot of parents is, well, I didn't know that I could ask for that. And just know you can ask for anything. You can pretty much ask for anything under the sun. You just have to prove that they need it. (laughs) Um, There's not, there is really not a list of anything where it's like, well, this is the only thing that the law can offer. This is the only thing that our school can offer. Like schools, schools can't say that if you show that there's a need for this, then it has to be provided. Um, One of the things recently that's come up with a lot of my families is the topic of homework and, you know, homework creating a lot of, um, and this isn't necessarily even for autism families, but just for middle school age kids that homework has created such a source of anxiety that it's like, you know, what should take a fifth grader 20 minutes to finish is taking two hours and they're melting down and they're crying about it. And it's like this constant thing that they're like, the parent is having to stand over the child to do. And like, you can get homework accommodations added into your IEP and parents are like, well, I didn't know that you could ask for that. And it's like, you can ask for anything. <laughs> That's good to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I, my son doesn't get homework because it creates so much anxiety for him. And we've, I was in a meeting, um, what day is it? Wednesday on Monday, um, for a middle schooler. And we have it written in that he has a homework contract. So he's only required to do five minutes of homework her subject every night. And then that's it. Like if he doesn't finish it, that's fine. He turns it in and he'll get graded for what he turns in. But homework was such a source of trouble for him that, you know, we got that written into the IEP. Yeah. Well, I know I have a a friend who, 
again, has a daughter on the spectrum who's a little higher functioning and she is, um, like you said, really good at masking and really good at communicating. But then when she would come home, it would be like, you know, that what's, chaos, what's, what's that <laughs> term that they say? Where it's like they've been holding it in. All yeah, the- that's yeah. my son. He's that's a blender, okay. a blender okay, without a lid on when he comes yes. home. <laughs> yeah. So she, but she was saying that like so much of that was was because of homework because she would come home and she would have, she would have therapy time and then it was like they were trying not only trying to get the homework done but it's like they were trying to cram that in with yeah. her therapy also, and then it was just like every, like it was mass chaos, but she's like, we just have like no time to do yeah. any of this. I, I, I know for them, they ended up having like a, a major battle, but yeah, if, if they could have just yeah. <laughs> in a homework contract, that probably yeah. would have been a lot easier. Yeah. But- it's funny you say that about like exploding after school. Cause that it's so true with my son. So he's in kindergarten now. Um, and he, <laughs> he, the school will never see a day where he, melts down where he Mm -hmm. has issues like he really is like this perfect student he's just like the light of all the teachers lives they just love him so much (laughs) um and I remember the first I usually call a meeting like four weeks into school just to get everyone to the table to sit down and and see how things are going Mm -hmm. and he would he would literally get in the car from the car line shut the door and explode I mean just scream at the top of his lungs start kicking screaming at his sister and it would continue for probably a good hour at home like one day he came home and we have a playroom upstairs and he leveled all the toys from all the shelves just destroyed the playroom Mm -hmm. and it's one of those things where like if like a typical kid were to do that and like I'm like if a you know, a parent to, to typical kids is listening to this. They're probably like, Oh, horrified. But right. <laughs> for me, I was just like this, he just needs to get this out. I shut the door and just let him tear that room up. And when he mm-hmm. came down, we talked about it, but you know, the school, every time I, I talk about his, you know, real issues that, that we have at home and that we see out in public, they just, they can't believe it. They're just mm-hmm. like, you know, basically their jaws are on the floor because they're just shocked because they never hear it. And, you know, I, I remind them and I try to remind other parents who, you know, have kids with autism who probably are like, this is my child. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's okay to say to the school, like, I know that you don't see this and that's great, but this is our reality. And you might not experience his autism, like on a severe level, but we do have these things that we deal with at home and you need to understand that that's truth. Like Mm -hmm. it's not my job to try to convince you that this is happening just because you don't see it. Right. Um, You know, and one of the things that we implemented to help him, even though again, they never saw any issues at school was um, little like brain breaks just for like a minute, a couple times during the day where he could like play with putty and I'm telling you that first day that that his teachers started doing that with him, he came home and didn't explode. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. I mean, it makes so much sense though, because you know, they're they're working so hard to, you know, just get through the day and, yeah. and and mask themselves. And then it's like, yeah, as soon as you're in like your your safe place, your comfort place, it's just like everything explodes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, like you said, something as simple as like working, working breaks. And I, I mean, I know for Logan, that's like essential and he's not even one to melt down, but he just, he'll just check out. Like he yeah. won't participate when he's like, when there's like too much expected of him. Like he knows like, okay, I need to just like, so we have breaks always, like you said, worked into the school day, but also worked into um, his therapy time because otherwise it's just not productive. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, Kate, this has been delightful to get yeah. to with you. Do you want to share where people can connect with you if they have questions? Oh, um, I really, I don't have a website. You know, I always thought <laughs> um, that I would, it was funny because when I started thinking like, okay, I want to be an advocate. This is what I want to do. And that, that other advocate that I knew about who everyone knows, like, it was always like, I want to be the next Aaron. Like that's, <laughs> that's my goal is to be able to help as many people as I can. 
Um, and I always thought that I would like get a website and try to promote myself. And then it just didn't happen. And people keep finding me by word of mouth. <laughs> um, so the only way really to, to find me or to contact me is to email me. And I'm happy yeah. to share that. Um, do you want me to just like spell it out? My last name's a little yeah. bit confusing. I'm okay. <laughs> Add it into the, the show notes and whatnot. But yeah, if you want to. Yeah. So it's we'll uh, Kate with a K, K-A-T-E dot Cordell U, C-O-R-T-E-L-Y-O-U at hotmail.com. Um, and I do run a Facebook support group with two other autism moms who I just love dearly. Um, And it's for, it's for middle Tennessee, but I share a lot of like IEP info on there. Um, So really anyone can join and it's, you know, just a lot of really good information. I think for parents on this IEP journey to know. Um, And I think you would just search, um, autism support group, middle Tennessee. And again, it's, I share a lot of like events going on in Tennessee, but it's Mm -hmm. not like you have to live in Nashville area for it to be, you know, good information. Yeah. Um, I'm laughing. I don't have a a website for the podcast. Yeah. (laughs) I, you know, and I, I keep like, I do, I finally made business cards Mm -hmm. and I keep thinking like, you know, maybe I really probably should like make myself more official, but I don't know. I mean, people keep finding me. So I'm like, well, I guess I'm must be doing something right. Because yeah. <laughs> people no, keep reaching out I to me feel. and they're like, well, I, I was told to contact you by so-and-so and like, I won't even know who that person is. So I'm like, well, good. Yeah. I, I hope mean, I'm helping people. That's, that's what I want to do. If it ain't broke, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I always, I, it is my, it's my goal for 2020 to get a website together, but it was one of those things where like, when I was first starting the podcast, I'm like, I, I'm so technically challenged. I'm like, yeah. right, just save that for another day. But then kind of like you're saying, like it's, it hasn't really, there hasn't really been a need for it. So yeah. I'm kind of like, I, I, I probably will just... never have a website. It's just yeah. like, like, it's simple. Yeah, I, I do not have the time to figure that out. So <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally understand that. Well, thank you so much for yeah. your story and just all the, the, the tips and resources for everybody going into IEP season. I mean, we have a little bit of time, but this is good to kind of prep for it. Yeah. It's like the beginning of the school year, everyone panics. And then mm-hmm. <laughs> right after spring break, it's like, ah, I got to get all my stuff together. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like, cause it, even now it's like, we're just, we're getting back from winter break. And I feel like I, I'm already thinking about IEP summertime. Oh, yeah. It's like once we get on the other side of winter break, it's like we're basically at the end of the school year. That's how it feels. So yeah, I've had yeah. I've had so many meetings this week already, and I have one more tomorrow. And then next week is not quite as crazy, but it's like, oh yeah, it's just <laughs> there's always something. Of course. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat. Yeah. Um, thank you for having me. Yes, wonderful. All right. Well, you take care. All right, bye-bye. Bye. For you, the listeners of Adventures in Autism podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I often get asked for book recommendations related to autism, and one that I always go back to is called The Out of Sync Child by Carol Kranowitz, and it was actually recommended to me by a friend who is also an OT, and I read this book years ago before Logan was even diagnosed. It's not necessarily just for autism. It also goes into like sensory processing disorder or ADHD, but it's just very valuable information and a really great resource that I still pull from today, even though I read it years ago. So that's a really good one. Sometimes just to get my mind off things, I also just enjoy good old chiclet. (laughs) I love anything by Emily Giffen, like something borrowed or something blue, and those are available on Audible as well, but you can pick from any of their titles. So to download Download your free audiobook today. Go to audibletrial.com slash adventures in autism. All one word. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash adventures in autism for your free audiobook. Okay, well, I hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Kate. Isn't she just awesome? I just think she is so amazing, and I'm so floored by all the work she is doing. I think advocates are 
so very special, especially ones like her who are, you know, advocates for their own children and then go on to help other families as well. It's just, it's so inspiring to me. So thank you so much, Kate, for coming on today and sharing your story. If you want to, you know, connect with her and ask her questions, I would encourage you to do that. If you want to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook at Adventures in Autism Podcast, on Instagram at Adventures in Autism Pod, or you can email me at Adventures in Autism 2018 at yahoo.com. Again, I love to hear from you guys. I love getting feedback about the show. If you have any questions or comments, please send them my way. And if you have been listening, I would be so grateful if you would take a moment to leave, you know, a five-star review. Uh, That would be wonderful, especially like I said right now. Not as many people are listening to podcasts, so now more than ever, I am so appreciative of all your ratings and reviews. So thank you so much for doing that. And that is all for now. Like I said, Logan's IEP is coming up next week. So we are prepping. I have a little chat with his teacher scheduled for tomorrow, kind of get things in motion with all that. And I will keep you guys updated on how how that goes. And that's going to be all for today. So until next time, take care.